1: Hello and thank you for downloading another episode of Simon Mayer's Books of the Year.
2: Thank you very much for downloading it, even though really it probably just automatically appears on your phone, so, you know. Yes, well,
1: that's true, but it, it's nice to, to start the the podcast by being welcoming
2: and friendly. And and thanking people,
1: yes. Yeah, and uh, and don't forget to tell your friends.
2: Yes, please do, and don't forget to review us on iTunes. Those five star reviews really help. None less than five. We don't accept less than five.
1: Yeah, that's true. But tell your friends to subscribe because that's the thing. Don't just. Yes. I mean, it's. I mean, we're grateful for everything, and also <laughs> we're grateful to W H Smith for their. Yes, support. we
2: are. We should. We should start mentioning them uh, sort of earlier on in our intro, really, shouldn't we? So hello, W H Smith, and keep on going with the stickers.
1: Yeah, get those stickers on.
2: Yeah, all those managers in those shops. Get we, the stickers on.
1: Yeah, we like you very much, and all the other staff underneath the manager. Yes, but we yes. just like more stickers. Yeah, and less chocolate. You could go in and say, I demand my sticker.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the staff will respond very well to people <laughs> demanding a sticker like on their book. like a
1: book. free sticker, please. Yeah. Uh, yes, anyway, so we're very grateful. Thank you very much indeed. Gary Barlow uh, is on the way uh, talking about his new book. By the way, I should say the um, uh, the Robbie Williams uh, book reveal, which was in our first podcast, yes. that part is still available. Yes, obviously. it is. Its very nature. So, if, you, uh, if there's anything that you hear uh, today, you basically think, oh, I'd quite like to hear. Uh, A sort well,
2: of compare and contrast. You yes. can to listen to them both. Yeah.
1: Now, you can email the show. You can get in touch because uh, we love to hear from you. Uh, email uh, books of the year at yahoo.com. You can tweet us at books of the year. Uh, Jane Fryer. Matt and Simon, I continue to very much enjoy your Books of the Year podcast. I still listen to each one at least twice. At least twice? Wow. And so look forward to seeing a notification that a new one is available. And that has just happened. A Graham Norton special to listen to after work. Hurrah. I'm a big fan of his and loved Holding, which was his uh, first novel. So very much looking forward to reading A Keeper. Your podcasts are a delight to listen to. Yes, please. And a lovely reminder of those different times. I miss so much. Mm. Whatever that's a yes. reference to. <laughs> I think Jane is referring to the
2: 1930s. I'm sure she is. I'm sure that she kind is. Of
1: inter, that interwar period.
2: And it would be great if everyone could listen twice, and certainly uh, subscribe and download twice that would that would that would help us out enormously yeah, uh, that'd
1: it? be very good yes.
2: Uh, Memphis Flash tweeted when we we uh, tweeted a picture of us all with uh, with Graham Norton when he came in, uh, and Memphis Flash thought it was David Jason. Time to shear the fur, Graham says Memphis Flash. Really,
1: by the way, in that that photograph which we which we posted, I had just banged my head on the speaker. There's a yeah, big speaker yeah. behind my head, and uh-huh. I think you'd said or Graham Norton said, "Mind your head on the speaker." At and which point I, I banged my head on the speaker. <laughs> Uh, Annie J after listening to Books of the Year I'm so looking forward to reading A Keeper I remember rural Ireland and we would get water from a well honestly no running water really? uh, in
2: our house Goodness. Wow, that's a long Um Sasu Fee also tweeted to say great review and interview and kudos to you Alex Limkin your poem was absolutely sublime it really was Graham loved it as well yeah that was
1: the poem that we read out yeah. uh, on the last pod uh, oh, and Linda LaPlante get involved, who was, she was on with uh, with Robbie Williams. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this, Graham Norton. You're terrific. Anyway, then, Graham, saying, <laughs>
2: yeah, <and> you're terrific <laughs> no, too. No, you're terrific. No, I'm was, terrific. No, I think you should read out this next one. Oh, line. yes, so, so this is from Christina Alcoba, who says, Graham, necesito ver tus entrevistas para vivir, si, sí, para vivir, porque me hacen como nada en este mundo. Which translates as, Graham, I need to see your interviews to live, yes, to leave because they make me smile and laugh like nothing else in this world. So, because you because you did Spanish, so you I speak did. fluent yes, Spanish. So I do. That's uh, our first Spanish. Although for some reason, though, when I was speaking English, I was doing it with a Spanish accent as well, sort of Speedy Gonzalez accent. Yeah, bit unnecessary. Speedy <laughs>
1: Gonzalez. That's a topical <laughs> reference for all you kids.
2: <laughs> was that Pat Boone
1: who did Speedy Gonzalez?
2: No, Speedy Gonzales. the can cartoon character. No, I'm thinking of the song. Oh, better hurry nah, up! <laughs>
1: no, 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 no. You don't know that one.
2: Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We probably can't play it though. No, I don't think we uh, have the rights. No, but well, we could do that production. at the opening bar. I production. Okay. It was Pat Boone. There you
1: Pat go. Boone. Thank you Very much. It's a weird song, that one is. Uh, Anne Griffin, thank you very much, Books of the Year, for this great mention. Couldn't agree more with Graham and his other recommendations, especially Mary Lawson, terrific writer and so wise when it comes to getting published when you've come rather late uh, to the party.
2: And we've got an email from Darlena Durr, who says, Greetings from Down Under in Auckland, in New Zealand. I am loving hearing the two of you talk about books again. And Love it. Loving it. And have given you a five-star Five star. Uh, review on my fruit-based device. Still not funny. I found the conversation with Mark Kermode a little surreal as my podcast streams collided. Was it even possible for Matt and Mark to be in the same room together without Simon disappearing into a time paradox? That's right, I did think It that. was weird. It was so much fun, though. Uh, Anyway, I wanted to recommend a book that I've recently loved. It's called The Language of Kindness by Christy Watson. It's a memoir, I suppose, looking back over Christy's training and experiences as a nurse in the UK. I'm not a nurse myself, but I've heard that nurses have found the voice very authentic. Uh, Christy is also a great writer, so the book reads beautifully, as well as being biographical. I'd love to hear her being interviewed. It's my turn to host Book Club next week. We've been running one for 22 years. 22 years, and I'm putting in Transcription by Kate Atkinson, which, of course, is one of our previous yeah, Rees- authors. Yeah, Matt's still up there. Yeah, and uh, Normal People by Sally Rooney and Calypso by David Sedaris. I'm a big fan of David Sedaris. Uh, I've read the last two, and I love them too. Uh, keep up the good work. Darlene, thank you. So just a reminder
1: that the, the, the shows that you're referring to, the Kate Atkinson show is obviously there for you to listen to uh, as well and if anyone missed the Mark Kermode one who's on with Alan Johnson yes. former uh, Labour politician and they both, we have a great old rock and roll conversation. It's a music
2: special that one isn't it yeah.
1: It is. Yeah, uh, So you can get in touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you uh, the email is year at yahoo.com, you can tweet us at books of the year standing by for our big guest So we're delighted to welcome Gary Barlow into our studio. Uh, his book is A Better Me. How are you doing, Gary? I'm very good. How are you? It's been a number of years. It's a, I think it's four. Is, four. That, is that right? You I came in so. and played some stuff?
3: Yeah, we did a little, um, a little interview on your show yes. and we did a, I think we did two or three acoustic songs. And uh, I think you showed promise, by, by the way. way.
2: <laughs> that, thank That's you. That was good of you. Do so yeah. you know what? I <laughs> feel good now.
3: Thank you.
1: So the book is A Better Me. Just explain why it's called... It's, a very, you know, it's quite a striking title, So explain why it's called that.
3: Well, I think to to sort of put it in a nutshell, um, it it follows a journey that starts in 2003, which I wasn't at a great place in my life. Um, I didn't have um, a record deal at the time. I wasn't making music. I hadn't been making music for a few years. I'd put on a lot of weight. I was suffering with a lot of depression. And it starts there. And it basically charters the climb back to where we are today. Um, and all the changes and the things I've discovered over that time and the things I've learnt and the people around me. And it's, it's basically that journey. And why, why did you decide to write it? Because there are many episodes, and
1: you've alluded to to the opening of the book, which is pretty painful.
3: Yeah, I think uh, there was a couple of reasons. Um, next year is a, a significant year for my band, Take That. Uh, we started in or met in 1989, so it's our 30th anniversary next year. Um, so, it felt to me like if I was going to write something it 's probably a good time to sort of close the chapter off and A, a lot has happened in the last twenty years um, so the, there was that, and then there was just the importance of putting down what had happened um, you know I I, it, I I always approached this book like it was the book I needed to read in two thousand and three if i 'd have just read something like this, it would have helped me so much in what way. Um, just just putting a, a bit of perspective on everything. And listen, this this book could have been given to me at that time and I probably would have ignored all of it. I was in, definitely in a different frame of mind. Um, but I felt like I was on my own going through it all. I felt there was no-one else in the world that could be going through this right now, when, of course, we all know there is, but lots and lots of people... Um, but, um, you know, I I basically was holed up in my house in Cheshire trying to work all this out, and it took me years. And there was points where I'd realised, especially with all the weight issues I had, I'd actually been on a diet for nine years, which for anyone who diets knows that diets are depressing, horrible things. And I just thought one day, this has to change. I'm just so unhappy being like this. And so then we go on this journey of discovery and finally try and make sense of it all. You have a, a very arresting phrase you talk
1: about, that you, uh, you were eating the pop star to death, and then you talk about Fat Day, something yep. which you've uh, come to... That's how it's referred to in your house as Fat Day. Can you just explain
3: what that was? Yeah, well, basically, the... the so I, I sort of f- finished my first career in about 1999... And um, you know, the the problem with being an artist when you're big is that when you, you lose it all, that people just seem to love that. You know, especially the media, it's like from they love the highs and the lows. Um so it was definitely a really horrible time to just be around being in coffee shops, going down the street, people would shout I just I just hated being recognized and so I thought I was being really clever that Every time I put half a stone on, less people would recognise me until the point where I was completely unrecognisable and everyone left me alone and I thought, isn't this great? Until I looked in the mirror on Fat Day, which is, I always called the, the day when everything in my mind, sort of, the, the the switch went up, where I thought, actually, this isn't me. I don't like feeling and looking like this. I need to change things. And and just, just to say this, I've got lots of friends who are, Big guys, they're so comfortable with it all. It just wasn't for me. I didn't feel right. I wasn't happy. I wanted to change it.
2: No. It, what's interesting from this book is, and the reason why I liked it, is it, it needs to tick, every book like this needs to tick just one box, and that one box is honesty. Yeah. And you're obviously very honest through this about your, your struggles with food and, and with diets. I want to ask you about your sort of, it felt to me that this sort of desperation of these different diets you would go to. So you would read one book, you would talk to one person, and they would say, oh, you want to try this, you want to try the Paleolithic diet or, or five and two, or wh- whatever whatever diet it was. And it, it it struck me through it that you were that you were constantly searching for this this one answer, this one thing that was going to unlock everything. And then suddenly, Gary Barlow's life was going to be fine as soon as that one diet had been unlocked. Was that was that how you how you felt through those very very dark
3: times? The di- the diets were everything. It was like almost one, once I got a book, I couldn't. N- not go in a corner and read it because I was waiting for, like, you know, give me the silver bullet, give me... What is it? What is it? What's this book going to deliver me that the other 12 didn't? Um, And I'd often read them... um, I was sleeping very badly at the time, so I'd always have periods in the night between sort of 2 and 4 a.m. where I'd go downstairs and I'd just devour these books and wake up full of hope the next day that this is the day Mm. when this is it, everyone, you know, and then all of a sudden you realise... Uh, it doesn't work like the others. So um, it, it's it's very frustrating. And the thing that frustrates me actually at this point is is that we still look in in our various news that we read and you will read one day, you know, do 60 sit-ups, you're going to lose 10 stone. And then the following day you read the same page and it says, don't do sit-ups, it's bad for your back and your health. And you go... How are people meant to decipher this? It's still, even though we have these amazing forums now with experts on them talking to us all day long, you still have the same questions coming up. People are still really confused about this whole world and and how to crack that and 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 it is a massive problem and 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 I feel sorry for everyone because yes I found my way through it somehow but it was bloody hard it I took massive amounts of time and research which most people don't have um, and it's frustrating to see it and I feel sorry for people um do you wish you'd and would it have been possible to get to that point sooner
1: or did you have to get to 17 Stone with all the associated issues
3: before you thought, hang on, I need to change? Yeah, I think it's clear to say... I need to say that it wasn't just food. This wasn't. This 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 was a build-up of a, of a lot of things and things which aren't usual to most people, like the whole celebrity thing, is an unusual thing. It does unusual things to your mind. So I, I understood that... That I was in because I hid it so well that the the depression that went on for a few years was never dealt with. So it was kind of it was my own sort of kit bag that dragged me out of that. And actually, one of the things that made me come out of that whole horrible circle of depression was actually exercise. It's one of the things that really kicked me back into another way of thinking. Um, but but I believe beyond the food, the the true thing that. Kind of made all the dots link up for me was when I started on all the mental stuff, uh, the sort of checking out of life for an hour each day and the meditation and just finding time to myself, almost arranging pockets of my life where you just get time to think and and straighten out the, the things that go on in our lives.
1: So, presumably that's what you're alluded to when you say in your book, "The day you join, take that someone pressed the stop button on my personal growth."
3: Well, I, I, came, I definitely came out of the band still mentally 19 years old, I felt. I felt like I, I'd learned a lot in those years, but the learning was kind of like how to travel, um, how, where, which bars to go to when you're in Berlin... Uh, what the best hotel was in Sydney. I mean, that was my knowledge, you know. It was like what the best record shop is when you're in L.A. I mean, that that was all I learnt and, and basically how to get out there and be screamed at every night. I mean, it was not really an educational period for us and we had a great time, we had a laugh and all those things. Um, but when you come out at the other side of that looking for some sort of, like, sanity as a 26-year-old, you go... What did I? What, what? Where? Where did all the learning go? And it was like it's almost like starting again. Really, it was a strange experience. The first of our uh, books of the year podcast was
1: with Linda Leplant and Robbie Williams, and uh, we had a very entertaining chat with Robbie and you address all the issues with Robbie uh, in, in the book and there's a there's I enjoyed reading the section very much where you're sitting and you know you're talking things through and you come to the, you keep on saying I was an idiot. Yeah. He says no I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah
3: yeah. <laughs> that went on for about half an hour that. No, I was bigger. No, 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 no. I was bigger. No, no, it's definitely me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but you kind of address it you but you kinda of addressing Robbie's uh, anger. I wonder if that was was that quite not just that moment cathartic, but actually putting it down? And put and you you and you say look this is just my side of it and you make that very clear but I wonder if that was quite cathartic as well.
3: I I think anyone who writes any kind of diary or there's definitely a a amazing release when you get this stuff down and for me a lot of the there was a few chapters which took two or three writes to really remember them the way they happened. Um, but definitely things like, you know, m- m- me and Robbie's rivalry went on for far too long, way, way beyond its its, its its lifespan, really. And um, so putting that to bed, I, like I feel in this book, has been a lovely thing to do. I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that there's some very painful stuff uh, in
1: here, none more so than when you lost Poppy, yeah. uh, your daughter who was still born. And, uh, and you say that this chapter has been in and out of the book. Yeah. So I wonder what that, how close we came, for, you, you quite legitimately say, actually, I don't want to put this in. You know, did you, was that a long conversation with, with Dawn, with your other half? I mean, how did that go?
3: Yeah, I think uh, the I think when you write in books like this, the one thing I started with was I didn't want it to be like a gossip book. I didn't want it to be and then he said and then she said and I, I just I couldn't bear the idea of friends and people calling me going, "Why have you put that in there?" I didn't want that mm-hmm. at all. So I really made it from my perspective until we came to this chapter. Um, and of course, my you know, I've got my wife's unbelievably private. Why the hell she married me? I have no <laughs> idea. Because our life is not private at all. Um, and it was a very long conversation of, do we do this? Don't we do it? And I, and I think that the, you know, when when you're the author, you you have to respect everybody else. And this was something that happened to the two of us, not just to me. And I needed to have her say so to do it, and, and I think the one thing that tipped her over was the idea that it could help other people. I think that was her decision made when she heard of all the good it could do about talking about things like this.
2: I think as well, listen, there are very uh, moving episodes in this chapter when you talk about Poppy, when you talk about your dad Mm. as well. I do want to ask you about some of the the brighter parts there. I love the story about uh, the Jubilee concert and what the Queen asked for at the Jubilee concert. Just just remind us, or for those who haven't read, what were the only two things she was interested in coming out of that concert?
3: Well, my meetings were often between three and four minutes with the (laughs) Queen. uh, And uh, the, the one day, obviously, we had to say, well, what do you want? And she said, I only want two things. Don't make it too long and get me Cliff Richard. Boom. (laughs) So she didn't say and back for good. (laughs) No. Finish with that. No. Shame, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're
1: talking to Gary Barlow. His book is A Bed of Me and uh, more in just a moment. Uh, this is books of the year. Uh, Matt Williams is here. Gary Barlow is here. Gary's the one who's written the book. Matt hasn't written the book Not just yet. yet. No. Gary Barlow's book is a better. Me and I just <laughs> asked Gary if he could read something from the book. So the deal is, you're just going to open
3: it anywhere. Open it anywhere. Okay. Here we go. All right. Let's. Oh, hang on. I opened it a chapter here. Ah, here we go. Here's a good one. Chapter nine. Now, I've done this, by the way. I've done an audio book. Okay. So if people yeah. want the whole thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and that was unusual. Have you
1: done an audiobook? Uh, I haven't done an audiobook. Yeah, no. it's a weird thing. I Cause, can't... Because mine, cause mine are novels, and then I would have to do different voices and accents, right. and I can't do that, whereas all, all you need is your voice. Well,
3: the thing is, the publishers asked me to do it, and I said, no, 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 I, I don't want to sit in, in a dark room for three days doing this. I can't bear it. But they sent me three actors doing my... my OK. Family. I was like, oh, God, I've got to do this, because it was you so can't. bad. Nobody would want <laughs> nobody so the Gary really Barlow's memoir so written by, read by someone else. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, I, I did it at home. I've recorded myself. It took me seven days. On but your phone? Not on my phone. No, not on your no. phone. They should, they should no. got Robbie to do it. I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah, that would have been funny. Do you want me to read? Yeah, just, uh, just, just a paragraph or okay. something. Yeah. Chapter nine. Two elephants. And then there's always a little bit of lyric here and in their houses there will be pictures like the ones of you and me. I'm not going to ask you to name the song it's from, because I can only just remember that one. Okay, here we go. The circus was just a magic moment in time. This is a band that couldn't get any bigger. Everyone has their 15 minutes of fame, true, true fame, and we knew we were at our peak. We were good, we were on it, we'd got it back. Let's go for it. Every detail of that show was obsessed over. We left nothing to chance. We were celebrating all this, loving it. You take none of it for granted when you come back like this. This time, you remember to say thank you to everyone. Gary Marlowe with And if you want more, you have to get the entire <laughs> audiobook, which is read. Yeah. There's, there's a lot 9 hours.
2: Do you do that voice all the way through. I Good for so. you. Yeah.
1: Uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite bits. Uh, in it, Gary. And it's just like a little snapshot into what it must be like being in your house, right? It's you, you talk about walking into the kitchen uh, and you're and you just typically are very up and the kids, are, uh, the, ki- the kids are there and you moonwalk into the kitchen and go, Hi, kids. And it's just their complete embarrassment yeah. is
3: a joy to behold. Every day. It's a, it's a daily event. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, they all and, and our our sixteen year old is the most cutting as well. It's like we, we you don't have to do this. We notice you. You know you do, you don't <laughs> have to make this song and dance. I like I'm a singer songwriter. So if we get it, but just come in normal and say hello, good morning.
2: It's like when you have that big shiny jacket with the big G on oh, the back, which I wear every morning
3: for breakfast. <laughs> by the way,
2: obviously.
1: yeah. Hi kids, Dad's here. So is that is that? I mean, obviously that's part of. The way you are. But you're, you, you know, you talk in the book about the joy of being in demand. And mm-hmm. and I, I and that sounds like it's a drug, you know. And when, when you've been in demand, it's kind of tough when you're not. Absolutely. Are you kind of more accepting now? I mean, I have to say, as we're talking here, there's a big crowd of kids outside waiting. Well, actually, not kids. You know, they're grown-ups yep. uh, with their kids, you know. And so you are clearly... In demand, but do you think when the next stage of your life happens, and if you do an interview and there's a couple of people outside, are you will you be more okay with
3: that? No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to talk about this and not sound completely shallow. Well, because it sound as it shallow as you like, um, but you know, it it was. I tell you what it was, you know, that the, the first time it happened, I started, I got did my first gig when I was 11, so by the time I joined the band at 19, I'd done thousands of gigs, walked on stages thousands of times, so it was just like this was always going to happen to me. It was like everything I sort of went for and aimed for achieved it, and then we're big in Spain and now we're big in Japan, and and it was just like it just all happens, and and doesn't life just continue like this and then of the day it didn't mm. continue like this and you fall off this cliff it's like is that it i'm 26 i don't I haven't got any other skills nobody now wants me to do music again what do you do for the rest of your life it seems like a long life ahead and and that was what was kind of like the puzzle of it all for me um i don't know about the demand thing i i i always you know when i see friends after gigs and stuff they're always like yes, you're incredibly f- relaxed considering you've just played to a stadium full of people i'm not sure how much of it stays with me that you know i do go on and i've got a show to do and you sing and do your best but then when you come off you you, you don't still feel like an hour later i'm i'm amazing and come on everyone applaud me it, there is a reality to it all and i think family helps you know the thing you talked about coming in the kitchen—that—that—that's that's real life. Would it help if is. they applauded when you walked in the kitchen? I, yes. I'd prefer that, but <laughs> it's not going to happen.
2: Um, I do want to ask you about X Factor because you're pretty candid about that show um, in the book, and about the, well, bluntly, the dearth of talent out there. You you went on this show thinking that you were going to discover all these great singers, and and you talk about how record labels now are despairing at, at, at the lack of young musical talent. Is that still something you feel?
3: Um, I don't know if the music industry's is uh, despairing at the lack of talent, but 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 there was definitely felt like we'd do like six days of auditions and not find anybody. And of course, we are talking about the top couple of percent in the country right. of these, so it was very easy for us. The, the 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 when the talented ones came through, it was just so glaringly obvious that, that they were great. Um, and then there was this massive gap between how great they were and then the next level, which is not very good. And and it used to worry me because, you know, you'd be like... You'd done 12 cities and you'd think, oh, have we found anybody yet? We've got to do a... You know, we're going to go on a for 12 weeks now to Christmas with nobody, you know, so it always i mean fortunately we there was always a, a one or two that were that were great and it and it saves the show that does because people actually tune into those things to watch talent uh, you know some tune in for the drama and the judges or whatever but people i do believe people really want to see talented people up there compare Gary the writing of this book with a, writing a song
1: i mean you've written So many big hit songs. You know what that's like. You know what the structure is. You instinctively feel what a hit song, what a great melody is. Compare that with sitting down and and writing many, many thousands of words for this.
3: I can't compare it, really. It's like music's been my language forever. Is it a completely different discipline? Oh, it's completely different. It's completely different because also I would guess this is more like writing a movie. Uh, it, this is a it's a long event. This you know this is this is something where you know when I'm dealing with three minutes, that to me that I can understand that I, I get where I need to be at thirty seconds, and that's a short chunk of time. But this is, you know, this is a couple of days for for somebody. It's it's a it's a completely different language. Do you and enjoy it? I think so. I think so. I, I've enjoyed this week talking about it and explaining why. You know, I think you know it's been. Maybe fifteen years since the last book I wrote. It'd probably be another fifteen before I do another one. Yeah. But 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 it it has been nice, and I also think um, selfishly, it's quite nice for my kids to have this because I, I'd have loved my dad mm. to have written down what he did in his life, and now all I've got is snippets from his brothers and sisters. Um, so nice to keep. Just finally, Gary, uh, right at the end, you
1: say. That uh, in your in the final few pages you talk about being more at peace with who you are, and yep. you use the phrase practicing acceptance. Mm-hmm. So could you just explain what you mean by that? So, I mean, it's, the book finishes with a very optimistic couple of
3: lines, but just explain that. Well, there was a there was a, a very um, poignant day. I don't want to put this out on a downer, but there was a day when just before my dad's funeral, we got to meet the the priest who was going to talk about my dad. And, of course, you know, you've read the book, so, you know, you go through a a lot of looking in a mirror. There's a lot of that. Um, And not liking yourself. And so I've been through all these diets and whatever else, all the usual things. Um, And we sat and talked about my dad for ten minutes. And the one thing that was just... it, It blinded me, actually, but the one thing that came from this chat was how much he liked himself... And I thought, that's rare, this, <laughs> especially in this modern world where we compare ourselves against everybody else. Um, he was just happy being him. He'd been given this life and he was going to enjoy it and he did enjoy it. And I took a lot from that and it really helped me move on to go, this is it, we're living it right now. So, you know, take, take the, the flaws on the chin, but, but try and enjoy it. Uh, Gary Barlow's book is A
1: Better Me. It's a fascinating uh, read. Gary, really appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks to Gary uh, for coming in. And I I do think people will be surprised at the level... I think it's quite obvious from listening to him quite how honest this book is. Yes, yes and uh, no-one wants a kind of hagiography anymore.
2: No, they don't. I mean, the one thing missing from that interview, of course, was his love for Liverpool Football Club, which is sort oh. of alluded to in the book, but I think I could have dug a little bit more you had, on uh, his You thoughts. had a
1: long chat with him outside did, before yes, we started yes. about yes. Liverpool, and I was quite glad because you <laughs> got it out of your system. Because I,
2: I don't think people want to hear that. <laughs> no, I think they would want he's to he's a real hear. fan. He is, and and his, uh, his uh, son and daughter, is elder. Uh, the son and daughter are both big Liverpool fans as well, which is nice.
1: Yeah, what a relief we got away yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. So the Robbie Williams show is, uh, which he which he did, is is available uh, for free on iTunes. Of course, the whole bunch of stuff is free. Dermot, O'Leary and Chris Riddell are going to be on our uh, on our next show, which is going to be. Very, do we call it
2: a show still? I yes, I mean a episode, maybe something like episode. that. Episode. I do want to talk about a book I've I've recently read, which I loved. As uh, a guy called Daniel Gray, who did a book a few or a couple of years ago called Saturday Three O'clock, which was. Down, uh, talking about the 50 things he loved about football. And um, and the, the, the title comes from that feeling at Saturday at three o'clock, which football fans get. But his new one is called Black Boots and Football Pinks and it's about the things that are now missing from football or the old things that you sort of look back on and go, wasn't that great? And my favourite chapter is about CFAX, watching football on oh, CFAX yes. on page 302. I can still remember the page number. If you were, re- if you were really
1: stressed out about a football result, or a match that was ongoing, and you wanted to follow it but you didn't want commentary, you didn't want to see it on yeah, the television,
2: yeah. that was the most relaxing way to. It, it. I, it was still pretty stressful, waiting for the page to refresh and, oh my goodness. This
1: is like old people talking yes. about the war. <laughs> isn't it? And then we heard the doodlebugs coming and in. And then
2: I saw a banana for the first time.
1: Hilary Hansel. yes, Or Hansel, possibly. Hello, Hilary. Uh, I am an LFVS I listen A listener from the very start. Well, that's going to cake off. Just uh, finished listening to yet another five-star podcast with Graham... Five stars! ...about his second book, The Keeper. As with all of your other recommendations, have downloaded it. Looking forward to what sounds like a great read. One of your listeners emailed in to say your podcast was particularly enjoyable by a cosy fireside in Austria. Well, I can confirm that your banter and book chat works brilliantly beside the pool here in glorious Portuguese sunshine. It's so great to hear you two... In tow again, even when ailing. We're still ailing a little bit. Yeah, a little,
2: but, you know, kicked it.
1: My, by the way, in the photograph for the last for the last pod with Graham Norton, Uh you're you're manifestly sweaty. I am.
2: How sweaty sweaty am I? I mean, it's because we'd have to go up, like, four flights of stairs. Is that what it is? Yeah.
1: Anyway, a couple of recommendations to offer from my holiday, if I may. The Clockmaker's Daughter, the latest one from Kate Morton, following up up from Distant Hours, The Forgotten Garden, House House at Riverton and others. Each one beautifully written in evocative and distinctive tones reeling the reader into a world of nostalgia and mystery with exceptionally described characters difficult to put down especially in the context of holiday reading and another recommendation apologies for rubbing in the fabulous weather out here whilst you're all experiencing the onset of autumn and darker nights which is the dry by jane harper oh yeah which yeah, we yeah. Uh, which we did uh, on the old radio 2 show there and jane harper came in it was a book yes, club choice yes
2: it? no very good
1: taking us to the relentless arid conditions of a drought in australia as the backdrop to an excellent thriller. Uh, anyway, that's from Hillary Hansel, enjoying a uh, holidaying in the Algov, but residing in Glasgow the other 50 weeks of the year.
2: Uh, Neil Cavanagh says, Hi, Matt and Simon. I'm loving your podcast at the moment. Really enjoying it when I go about my daily lunchtime pod walk or while shaving every morning. Are we still being sponsored by Harry's Razors? Should I say Harry's Razors? I've said them anyway. So, while you know, shaving. I,
1: sh- I shave with my Harry's Razor whilst reading The Guardian well, and The Economist. <laughs> I do. (laughs) And listening to an Audible download.
2: And setting up a website on Squarespace. Oh, wait. They've still not got in touch. Still not? Still not. Uh, Thanks for doing it and all the work and research you're you're putting in. I love the Ben McIntyre chat recently. Uh, Currently, I'm enjoying John Boyne and Sean Usher. Any chance of an interview with the great Frederick Forsyth? I'm flying through his new thriller, The Fox. It's a great read. I'd love to hear the master storyteller chatting with you guys on your show. Thanks again. Keep podcasting. New fans, soon to be LTL in Dublin.
1: Uh, there's a nice little photograph came in from Joe Boyles. He says, "My daughter has started a story, and Rebecca no longer has the greatest opening." Go and on. according to this, I think it's called "The Chattering Souls." And what this is is a handwritten uh, few lines yes. on a on a like a on a school exercise, but with a ring binder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the opening line is this. It's kind of like. Mike, how old would that person be? Do you think from the writing about?
2: Yeah, I'm going to say eight or nine. Yeah, I'm going to say
1: primary school.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: As the day becomes night, the ghosts start to stir. Some literally start to stir because they are chief ghosts,
2: chef ghosts. Well, it says chef ghosts. Oh, oh, that's the gag. Oh, okay. Start to stir because it's chef ghosts. (laughs) Oh my. Okay.
1: (laughs) As the day becomes <laughs> night, the ghosts start to stir. Some literally start to stir because they are chef <laughs> ghosts. Chef
2: ghosts! Chef ghosts. <laughs> because they're stirring, literally. The oh, handwriting. unbelievable. It could have implied. No, it couldn't. Um, and uh, we got a lot of uh, emails asking for other questions we can ask in the Q and A uh, that we do with authors. And obviously, you've will heard the one we did with Gary Barlow. Uh, Rachel says, "What about an ending you'd like to change? A sequel you'd love? The challenge of writing and and also ask, would you consider filming the podcast? Because I'd like to see the authors. Are we going to film the podcast? No. We're not going to film the podcast.
1: No, no. I think it costs too much money. Oh,
2: does it? Mm. Right." OK.
1: Um, and an
2: email from Dr Donardi Goodluck. Oh, yes, Dr Denardi. Excellent.
1: Uh, he says, I don't know, is that a guy?
2: Yes, I'm saying Dr Goodluck. Yes, that's his name.
1: Attention beneficiary. Actually, this is the second time I'm sending you this important letter to this email address of yours. But for the fact that you have not responded till this moment, I wish to inform you that your email appeared among the beneficiaries who will receive the sum of 1.2 million euros compensation. Contact our office secretary... Oh, there we go, ..with this email, and there's an email address. Instruct him to send you... The ATM card containing your 1,200,000 euros. Well,
2: product. what a stroke of luck that is. Maybe we don't need the sponsorship <laughs> at all because we'll just get in contact with I, Dr Goodluck. I might do that. Yes? Really? No. Don't think you will. I, but how nice <laughs> is Dr Goodluck to yes, get, in touch. get in touch. I mean, sorry for not replying to the first email, Dr Goodluck. I mean, I don't know how that, that, that managed to slip through but the net. But if you'd
1: like to just send us the 1.2 million, send
2: it anyway, yeah.
1: Here, here's what we're going to do. If... Dr Denardi Goodluck sends us 1.2 million euros. Uh-huh. We will film the podcast. Yes.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: We will do
2: a live show and it will be free. It will be free. Do we agree yeah, to this?
1: Yeah, if we yeah. get sent, only under these conditions.
2: Very much the ball is in Dr Goodluck's court here, isn't it, you know. So I'm just I mean, saying
1: Dr Goodluck, you if know. you want a free economist <laughs> and a free a free you guardian You can buy Harry's razors. There and, you go. Chuck them in. Let's be honest, we could all do with a decent razor. <laughs> You're no different, Dr. Goodluck, unless you're a woman. Yes. In which case, probably not. Probably but anyway, not, yeah. what we're, say, what we're <laughs> saying is, it's over to you. The few, we would think of the joy that you'd bring the, yes. your, our downloaders. All if you are just. All we need is a million euros.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> think of the benefits. Mm. To be honest, Dermot's on the show next week, Dermot Ellery and Chris Riddell.
2: We could ask Dermot for a million. You think? And, and what, we're going to sweeten that by saying we're going to give you some raises, a copy of The Economist, The Guardian. I think that's all and, he's uh, a good, He's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. I might
1: even say something positive about the new Arsenal manager. <laughs> <laughs> say something nice about his book.
2: Yes. Well, the Arsenal manager. Oh, his book, Dermot's book. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway.
1: So Dermot Leary and Chris Rudell, Heather Morris as well is, uh, is coming up. So many very fine authors. Ian Rankin we're going to do. Oh, can I wait? Anthony I Horowitz so. we're going to
2: do. Hello. The Child we're going to do. Oh, my goodness. They're all coming on. Yes. We've so got big books coming out.
1: Please tell us about the books you're reading, uh, the authors you like to uh, see appearing and how much money you think. Been... <laughs> no, no, no. Dr. Goodluck over to you.
0: <laughs> Hello. I'm Violet Manners and welcome to Hidden Heritage the podcast that brings you inside Great Britain's favourite destinations. From the same team that brought you the number one history podcast, Duchess, Hidden Heritage will uncover the fascinating stories behind the UK's brightest shining hidden gems. You'll hear from top experts in British heritage, including custodians, historians, artisans, experts, and even the craftsmen and restorers who've worked on some of the most celebrated historic buildings. We will share the untold and unique stories that celebrate UK heritage, from landmarks to architecture, artifacts to myths and legends. Hidden Heritage will highlight a side to British history you have never seen before. I'm your host, Violet Manners, and founder of Heritage X, and I invite you all to join us on this exciting journey. This is Hidden Heritage. You can find Hidden Heritage wherever you listen to your podcasts.